0: You ready? There's much to talk about in the beginning. I feel like we haven't had one of them spicy intros in a while. One really gets people's wheels spinning. But we can just do it and see what comes out. Okay. All right.
1: Hi, this is Rachel
0: McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy.
1: And this is wonderful. Honk, honk,
0: get in the... Co- no, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be like rush hour traffic thing. Like, uh, we're, stu- we're stuck in it too, but, uh, you know, we're, just ha- we're hanging in there. We got our car snacks, but the- I didn't have anything past that. Do you want to try again?
1: Okay.
0: Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hey, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Honk, honk. I'm a goose. The geese are coming this summertime. They're flocking on back to us, aren't they? Okay. (laughs) One more. (laughs) These have all been dry and definitely not in the show. Uh, (laughs)
1: Hi, this is Rachel McElroy.
0: Hey, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. Honk, honk. Thanks for listening to wonderful... A clown podcast, the clown show where, where we, we ta- honk
1: horns, where we
0: talk about what's new in clown technology. And Rachel, I think you're first this week, so tell me all about new clown uh, tech.
1: Hong Kong. I have a a lapel flower. Oh, cool! That squirts
0: uh thirty yards. That's fun.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I do. I what about have, you, honk honk? Well, honk Kong, I got new big pants that when they fall down, but I'm all covered up down there. Ooh! Because so like underwear. Uh, no, it's sort of like a second pair. It's really just kind of like a pair Ooh. of khakis that I have under there. Pants on pants on pants. No, it's just the khaki. It stops at the khakis, but now it's just that when the big pants fall down, everybody gets a good laugh, but I don't, I am not exposed.
1: Honk, honk. What about pants on pants
0: on pants? It would get pretty hot. And
1: suspenders on suspenders on suspenders. I need you to
0: calm down. <laughs> I need you to con. There's a reason why the clowning arts haven't changed much. They don't yeah. evolve very quickly. And right now, you're being a little bit heretical.
1: I'm new school, you know?
0: I know you're new school. What with your, your big purple nose? And I'm like, what? <laughs> Good. <laughs> My totally straight clown hair. We fucking found it, babe. That was it. Hong Kong. Hey, do you have any small wonders? Uh, I do. Okay. But I want you to go first. I'm going to say power outlets. <laughs> Not, uh, like a, a, a like surge protect, you know what I mean? Like, uh, what is the word on um, power strips? Okay, or, or okay. like little things. Yeah, Be- no,
1: that's like bonus outlets. I get it's it. A bonus outlets.
0: What's wild? Mm-hmm. In this, in in my office, like I have a lot of fucking clown tech that I gotta plug into stuff. And I've got power strip things all over the place. I've got one little thing that's like a corner. You can see it. It's, it turns your two things into six things, but it Ooh. makes them, it gives it three faces kind of so that you can have the big plugs on it. That's good. Why does it work? Why aren't there just six fucking outlets there to begin with? I don't know, but these, uh, these just multiply the electricity, I guess. Mm-hmm. I love it. That is really good. Did you have time to come up with something? I did. Okay. And that thing <laughs> oh, geez, you didn't, did you?
1: <laughs> is bubble baths. Okay. I love a bubble bath.
0: For you or for a t- toddler I mean, son?
1: Both, both, honestly, both. I feel like it's, um, it's a very low budge way to treat yourself. You
0: know? oh, I see. Yeah. Like when
1: I do it, I feel like, Ooh, this is decadent.
0: Well, it's unless you use gold leaf bubbles like I do. <laughs> and boy, let me tell you. That sucks to get off your body at the end of it. Well,
1: yeah, and clogs your drain, I imagine.
0: And your pores. Mm -hmm. Real bad. Gold leaf. Don't breathe. Mm -hmm. No, I'm saying it's imperative that you don't breathe while you're in (laughs) the, yeah. If you get some of this stuff in your lungs, you're a Bond villain at that point. Okay. Do you want to go first? I'm not asking.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It is my turn. You are prescribed
0: to go first this week. It is my turn to go first. What's your first thing, my love?
1: Crossword puzzles. Crossword puzzles? Are so good. They're
0: wonderful. They're so nice. They're little noodle scooters and you they you take a while to figure them out and then when you crack that one clue Mm -hmm. that was Pierce Brosnan. Eleven across was was Pierce Pierce
1: Brosnan. Oh and I misspelled Pierce. That's why. Oh
0: that's why it didn't work.
1: Um Sometimes I worry with wonderful that we have gotten too narrow onto our favorite thing. And I will say crossword puzzles aren't my favorite thing.
0: I fucking hate crossword puzzles. (laughs) But they are wonderful. I recognize they're good, even though I despise them. (laughs) You
1: can't argue it. And the reason I thought of them recently is I had some like word of the day thing. I was on some site that listed some word of the day. And the word of the day they listed was cruciverbalist. Oh, that's what is that? It's somebody who creates crossword puzzles.
0: Oh, no, they got to come up with that themselves. Uh, I bet. Probably yes. That's a kind of jaggy. Isn't that wonderful? It's nice. It's a great word, mm-hmm. but they got to pick it. It's like you can't pick your own nickname, you know?
1: Yeah, I still like it.
0: Okay, I like it too.
1: You know me. I'm all Bodie McBoatface over here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, like school uh, during <laughs> summer, no class. I <laughs> I enjoy clever for clever's sake. Sure, Bodie McBoatface, man. That's some real. That's. <laughs> That's my bar. (laughs) Some erudite wit right there.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, So Crossword Puzzles started in 1913. Really? It took us that long to, to crack that. So what's tricky about Crossword Puzzles is that is a word puzzle a crossword puzzle and that's that's kind of where the debate started is that there's stuff in the
0: 1800s right that was
1: like word puzzles but was it similar to a crossword puzzle the way we know it today no
0: i mean it's a venn diagram right because mm-hmm. word puzzle would include the jumble and boy i loved me the jumble <laughs> did your <laughs> paper think, have
1: the jumble did i what the jumble
0: did your paper have the jumble of course it did Okay.
1: Did you think that was like an exclusive to Huntington, West Virginia?
0: I thought Mr. Dispatch of you the thought, Herald Dispatch. You thought one up-
1: paper could have a jumble in the country?
0: Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did your paper have Family Circus too? Yes, it did. I thought that was just a guy in Huntington mm-hmm. that made that. <laughs> no, Bill Keene. I knew Bill Keene. Yeah? A uh, Bill Keene. Mm-hmm. Actually, his name was Will Keene. Actually, his name was Will Sutherland. <laughs> but you could see how I got there.
1: Yeah, no, I can. Uh, the reason 1913 wins generally is that, uh, Liverpool, England published a quote word cross puzzle.
0: So close. Mm-hmm.
1: And then crossword puzzles, uh, appeared in the first book published in 1924. I should say that a different way because that was yeah, a confusing way to say sure it. Sure was. Uh, <laughs> so the first book of Crossword Puzzles appeared in 1924.
0: Okay. Were these, uh, so was this... When this was
1: a book apparently that had came with a pencil attached to it. That's fucking sick.
0: I like that a lot. That's like the <laughs> like kids activity books that you'll buy at like uh, rest stations on the highway. Yeah. Uh, w- when this book came out, was it a thing for the crossword puzzles to be in the newspaper?
1: Uh, yes, but the New York Times crossword puzzle, as we know it today, did not exist yet.
0: Okay, I guess I'm. I, I was asking like. Did crossword puzzles, did they become popularized because they were a thing that they printed in the newspaper? Yes, yes. Okay, so it was not like a thing you sought out, like, a, am going to go to the game store and buy some crossword puzzles. Okay.
1: No, so this is what was funny, is that people, much in the way that people are resistant to new media, uh, they were resistant to crossword puzzles because they felt like it was a waste of time. Interesting. So there's all this stuff from the New York Times before they had a puzzle themselves, where, so for example, in 1924... They said uh, that crossword puzzles were, quote, a sinful waste in the utterly futile finding of words, the letters of which will will fit into a prearranged pattern. This is not a game at all, and it can hardly be called a sport. Solvers get nothing (laughs) out of
0: it. Well, this isn't football. <laughs>
1: Solvers get nothing out of it except a primitive form of mental exercise and success or failure in any given attempt is equally irrelevant to mental development.
0: Well, that's not cricket. It's words. That's not a sport.
1: Get that out of I here. It's so interesting that, and I guess it was the time period, but this idea that it was fun was not enough, like that it was wasteful. And not productive. Right. It's
0: like outrageous. My history knowledge is, as I think we've covered on this show many times before, a garbage disposal. Mm-hmm. And so you'll forgive me if this is an unfair evaluation, but I just feel like nineteen oh nine through like nineteen fifty, things were pretty t- things were tough. Yeah. You had to be kinda of, you had to kind of grit your teeth and get stuff yeah, done. That's true. So I think it's that mindset of just like we just finished one World War, I think. I know that second one's around the corner. Uh, don't don't fill these little squares up with letters, folks. I need you to buy war bonds instead.
1: So the New York Times kind of continued on its anti-crossword streak in 1925. They said, the craze evidently is dying out fast, and in a few months, it will be forgotten. <laughs>
0: <laughs> kind of a self-dunk there.
1: And then in 1929, said so the crossword puzzle, it seems, has gone the way of all fads. Suggesting that it was like on the way out. But then all of a sudden, 1942, they have their own crossword puzzle. (laughs) And that's like the one. The New York Times crossword puzzle is like the gold standard. The big one. In
0: 1950, did they run one about like how print media was dead?
1: (laughs) Probably. Okay. Uh, So have you heard of Will Shorts? Yes. I don't know if his name is pronounced Shorts or Shores, but it's spelled Shorts.
0: Is he the one who makes the crossword puzzle for the New York Times? Yes. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but I have heard of him.
1: So, he's a super interesting guy, as I found out from researching him. So, I he's learned 12 about feet tall,
0: <laughs> he eats a whole can of beans every Did morning.
1: Did you ever see the 2006 documentary Wordplay? No, it was all about like the crossword puzzle championships, and there were like interviews with people that were crossword puzzle enthusiasts, and they also featured Will Shorts. I don't
0: think I saw this one.
1: Okay. So I didn't know much about him other than he had crossed her puzzles, but apparently he was born and raised on an Arabian horse farm in Indiana.
0: Those are good horses, folks.
1: Mm-hmm. He graduated from Indiana University and is the only person known to hold a college degree
0: in enigmatology, which is the study of puzzles. How is that? How can there be one person that holds a degree? How does that work? So... Somebody Indi- had to teach him, right? Did the, no?
1: So Indiana has an uh, individualized major program where you
0: can design your own curriculum. What? hmm So I could go there and like major in potions?
1: Potentially, yeah. Fuck
0: yeah. This is the last episode of this podcast.
1: <laughs> um, he also got a law degree, but never took the bar. Hmm. Uh, he's been the crossword puzzle editor for New York Times since 1993. He uh, founded and directed the Crossword Puzzle Tournament... And founded the World Puzzle Championship in 1992.
0: Hmm. Interesting. He's the big old puzzle guy. Yeah, sounds like it. And he's like, he's like the guy now. Do you think he's who the Riddler's based on? Oh. Oh, By which I mean, do you think he's tried to kill the Batman? And if so, how many times?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So now I only really do crossword puzzles when I'm on a plane and it's in the back of the in-flight magazine.
0: Yeah, I uh, I for a while there. But you I have, can
1: find a lot of them online. Yeah, that's my like,
0: jam is yeah. like iPad apps with crossword puzzles. I, it's very rare, but I will get on like a crossword puzzle kick. There was a while living in Chicago where I fancied myself a a, a hard copy paperback uh, paper reader. Uh, mm-hmm. I just sit on the porch in the fall and just read my paper and uh, drink drink my my coffee and mm-hmm. like uh, a real newsman, like a real hardened newsman. But mm-hmm. really, I was just trying to get to that crossword, which I would probably give up on in about 20 <laughs> minutes if I didn't manage to just pound straight through it. <laughs> Fuck Sudoku though, right? Oh, God. It's just numb. I was
1: into it for a little bit oh, the, like the were. great blossoming of Sudoku, but now I just
0: has the new york times ever dragged sudoku before probably
1: probably
0: uh can i talk about my first thing yes so i've been watching a bunch of Or last week was summer games done quick i feel bad for not mentioning it i feel like i try to keep the wonderful audience abreast of the uh video game speed running marathon scene uh it was from what i've watched pretty rad they raised over three million dollars which is by far like the most they've ever raised for doctors without borders which kicks ass Watching what I watched, though, it inspired me to talk about uh, another game franchise that is called Zelda. It's called, well, it's called Zelda, is in the title most of the time. Most of the time, it's about Zelda. You were a Sega household, and I feel like one of these days yeah. I need to bring, like, fucking, uh, you know, Vector Man or something, something, you know, Vector. I had
1: a friend that had the Nintendo, but we only ever did Mario.
0: Well, interestingly, like there are a few core Nintendo franchises, right? And you can probably like name them, even though you're not big into the scene, like Mario, mm-hmm. Zelda, mm-hmm. uh, the Pink Man Kirby. I know you're a fan. Of, I know you're a fan of his work. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should bring the Pink Man Kirby to the show at some point.
1: Well, I, I mean, my knowledge of Kirby is just that he is a pink man. And he likes to
0: eat. It's not like I could really
1: participate in a spirited conversation.
0: (laughs) That's fair. Um, What's interesting is that Zelda and Mario were being developed actually at the same time. There's a lot about Zelda's history that I didn't really quite appreciate, even though I have a tattoo of the thing on my left wrist. Um, I also feel a little bit basic talking about this because I feel like Zelda is the gaming equivalent of pizza. <laughs> like, of course, it's very good, uh, and and most people really like it. Uh, but I think that position kind of takes for granted what a transformative game it was when it first came out. Uh, if you've never played one before, there's been like nearly twenty of them across the different like gaming console uh, generations, and they, you know, usually all have recurring themes where you're this hero of time named Link, and you got to collect some MacGuffins. Until you have to collect the Triforce, which is like the big MacGuffin. MacGuffin. A MacGuffin is like a, 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 a object that you need in order to finish your, you know, your quest. It's the oh. thing that moves the plot along, right? Oh, okay. So in Zelda, the MacGuffin is the, the Triforce. Most of the time, you got to collect the, the pieces of it and yeah. beat Ganon, save Zelda, whatever. Um, and that format has been like really, really static throughout the uh, thirty-three years that the franchise has been around, with like little tweaks on it. But it's always, like, so exciting to see uh, familiar things, like, familiar components. There's There's a town in nearly every Zelda game called Kakariko Village, and just, like, playing a new Zelda game for the first time and running across it and being like, oh, I know this place, but it's different in this game is, like... Uh, in a way, I guess it's cashing in on nostalgia, but there's something that is really refreshing about having that like coherent yeah. a a world, even though all the games are different and technically take place in like different sort of spots on the very complicated timeline, which I'm not even going to get into. Watch David Brian <laughs> Gilbert's video that he did for Polygon on it. Brian David Gilmer. What did I, we Brian, both David, said it really. Gilbert. David Brian Gorman. Brian David Gilman. Bremen <laughs> Gibby. uh and yeah there's a, a few components of it that i think make the games really successful it's like the games are really vibrant and the worlds are very inviting uh a lot of the time you spend your time sort of going through these different dungeons which are usually based around like one kind of core puzzle mechanic or new special tool that you'll find that'll just add something new to the gameplay and it like squeezes every drop out of every gameplay idea that it introduces all the way up to these like really great exciting boss fights that are kind of like a like a finals like a hard test for all the studying you just did while going through the dungeon like that format is literally they've used hundreds of times now throughout the games and it's still really exciting each time um so, like, all this stuff is great. It's why I've, like, always really loved the games. It's I can't think of another game franchise that is just consistently as good as this. Like, every game that comes out, you can probably count on it being, like, really, really good. Um, and all that stuff, like, the exploration that you do in these games and the polish, the way that, that everything has been so thoroughly uh, thought out and the way that the world feels, all that stuff, like... That was not the norm for video games when this came out in 1986. Uh, it was originally alongside Mario was supposed to come out for the Famicom Disk System, which was the console that came right before the NES. Yeah. Um, and these two games were being designed at the same time, uh, produced by Shigeru Miyamoto, who is uh, like the 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 uh, creator of a lot of like beloved Nintendo franchises. Uh, and it was written by. Uh, uh takashi tezuka uh and together they were they were working on zelda while mario brothers was being designed simultaneously and what was really neat and i never really understood is that these two games were kind of a foil for each other while they were being developed because mario is very much about like linear yeah going to start to and mario was revolutionary in a way too because uh there weren't that many games that weren't just like score chase arcade games yeah Uh, mario like compelled you to play until you got to the end of it which is like in pc gaming a thing that you know had been a thing for a while but in in uh console terms was like kind of unheard of but zelda was the opposite it was not linear you could go wherever you want and do whatever you want and in, in, sometimes in like whatever order that you wanted um and what is interesting about that is like when early play testers tried to play zelda like they all catastrophically just fucking fail yeah
1: it makes sense
0: because it's like well i don't they would all get lost and like didn't even know like what they were supposed to be doing in the game because from the very start there's you know three different screens you can exit onto and a cave that you can go explore like oh shit like that's the
1: way i felt about mist
0: Oh my god, Missed. yeah. I was like, what am I supposed to be doing right now? <laughs> I've never beaten. I've played, I think, most of the missed games. I don't think I've ever beaten. One of them. But that's a great example of like, well, here's an orb that looks like it's got a picture of a boat on it.
1: I guess I'll go that way.
0: I'm going to write down in my, my real notebook, remember the boat orb and go back there and check it out. Um, uh, Miyamoto described wanting to make Zelda a, a, a special game. There was a quote where he wanted it to be a miniature garden that players can put inside their drawer. That's so good. Oh, that is
1: really good. And he
0: used his time like exploring uh, Kyoto as a child, like the the, the wilderness around uh, surrounding Kyoto as a child. He tells this story about how he's just like got lost in the woods one day and kept walking and one day he just found a lake he didn't know was there. And that feeling of exploration was something that like, could I get that across in a video game? Which given yeah. the limitations of the hardware at the time, like it's kind of incredible that they did manage to do that, although it required a lot of onboarding for players who, you know, had not heard of, of, of Zelda and how to play it and that game introduced a lot of people to the concept of like talking to other people who are playing the game and forming these info sharing networks which i wouldn't be surprised if that led to the nintendo tips hotline or whatever it was called that you see in the wizard movie yeah um but yeah like it, it introduced all of these incredible things to especially to like console gaming that i think i just kind of took for granted that like It wasn't a thing before, and Zelda was the thing that kind of made it made it a staple. Um, The name Link and Zelda, uh, I I think I knew at some point. Uh, Link is referring to the fact that he is a uh, a connected part of the world that players use as their interactive role in the game, literally a link into the game, which is wild. Also because the game was supposed to be slightly futuristic when they were first designing it, although that got pretty much all scrapped out. Uh, And Zelda, can you take a guess at where Zelda came from? I mean, there's Zelda Fitzgerald. That's right. It's Zelda. It's named after Zelda that's Fitzgerald. Kind of Zelda. <laughs> it's kind of the only other Zelda. kind of the only other Zelda. There's a quote where Miyamoto explained, Zelda was uh, the wife of famous novelist F. Scott Fitzgerald. She was a famous and beautiful woman from all accounts. And I like the sound of her name. So I took the liberty okay. of using it for the very first title. That's, a, that's, a, that's slam dunk attribution, I think. Um, yeah, I just, I... I I've always loved this series, and nineteen eighty six was a year before I was born, so I don't think I had a good grasp of what the yeah. gaming landscape was like then. but uh, I don't think i ever I don't think I ever really appreciated what a like actual landmark sort of thing it it was until yeah. uh, I studied for this.
1: You know, my only, I mean, I've, I feel like I've seen people play Zelda, but my only real familiarity came from when you were playing that version on the Wii.
0: Oh my God. When you
1: were still living with Justin.
0: Yeah, I had to uh, play Skyward Sword for a review where mm-hmm. I think I had like a three or four day turnaround yeah. and I had to do what we in the industry call, and I don't think Rachel likes this oh, term, I don't. but I had to poop sock Zelda Skyward Sword, um... God, that's my... I'm going to change my second wonderful thing to the term poop-socking. Oh, Oh, she really... Gosh, you really don't like it.
1: I really don't. I just can't hear it and not think about what it it means.
0: Because of the visual. Well, can I steal you away? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis website design or website functionality, and you think, I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks.
1: Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghostwriter, would I be able to do that?
0: Well, first of all, it would be
1: To get fifty percent off.
0: Got a jumbotron here. This one's for Amy, and it's from Declan. Dear Amy, thank you for everything you do for me. You are the light of my life. You keep me going, and I treasure the nearly four years we have spent together. I love you so, so much, and I hope I can travel to Brisbane, Brisbane, to see you soon. See, I tried to put that sort of uh, you know authentic stink mm-hmm. on. It. Gonna go to
1: Brisbane, Brisbane, zip it oh how fun
0: he doesn't really do the Brit. that he's the not the british one the other mike myers does the british but um brisbane's in australia i think
1: yeah i think so too
0: i am a an unintelligent man (laughs) (laughs) can i read this next one did mike myers ever play an australian character not that I know of. Not that's I why you don't know about us. Shit. I haven't seen Love Guru, but I don't I think that's one's more racist.
1: <laughs> Can I read the next one? Sure. This message is for Elizabeth. It is from Jackie. Hey Elizabeth, congrats on getting that good, good master's degree. You're one of the most wonderful people I know, and you're going to be an amazing disaster management specialist. Your pal, Jackie.
0: What a, So an amazing disaster management specialist, I would think, would use their superpowers to stop the, you know, tornado, punch yes. it, punch it apart.
1: Or is the disaster itself amazing?
0: Oh, yeah. Wow. Cool yeah. tornado. Uh, now and I'm going to manage. Just specialize r- yeah. This and way, how- tor- <laughs> this way, tornado, this way, <laughs> away from the people. You're amazing. Listen, tornado, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. You remind me of I and I don't mean to brag and I don't like to drop names, but I knew the tornado from the Twister movie. The big one. <laughs> the main one. I met the cow twister once too. He was kind of a dick. The main one is a is really cool. Really cool to his fans.
1: That sounds like a disaster agent. Like you are out there promoting your disaster. <laughs> I listen to reading glasses because Bria and Mallory have great tips. You're a comics reader and you want to use a library-connected app. You can try out Hoopla. I listen for the author interviews.
0: I'm mad at myself that I waited as long as I did to start reading Joan Didion. They give me reading advice I didn't even know I needed.
1: If you go in person to an event and go up to an author or a filmmaker or anybody and tell them what they, you don't like about their work, you're a trash baby. I, look, I understand you didn't like Heroes Season 3. That's fine. I like, <laughs> I don't actually need to know that information? I'm Bria Grant. And
0: I'm Mallory O'Mara.
1: We're Reading Glasses and we solve all your bookish problems every Thursday on Maximum Fun.
0: What's your second thing? The Frozen summer treat that is snowballs. Snowballs, thank God. I thought you were about to talk, like, talk about the movie Frozen. (laughs) The
1: Frozen film. It's not not a good film. It's a good film. It is a good film. Fine film. Frozen 2 looks wild. I really, like, I literally didn't see it until, like, three or four months ago.
0: Yeah, Rachel's pretty new to the scene. You yeah. rode the Frozen ride before you saw the Frozen movie. That Frozen ride is legit, though. Oh my God, it's That shit favorite. makes me, at, at Disney World and Epcot, it makes me cry every time and I don't know why. <laughs> Do not have a particularly deep emotional connection to the film, but the ride makes me tear up. Yeah. Explain that shit, Science. You can't. The Imagineers got me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I am talking about the uh, New Orleans confection made with shaved ice and flavored cane sugar syrup. Have we not talked about
0: frozen, tasty flavored ice? It seems familiar to me, but it could just be because we both like it so much that we talk to each other about it without recording.
1: Well, and here's the thing I want to say right at the top. Yeah. I don't like snow cones. I've never been a fan of snow cones. They yeah. do nothing for me. Gross. Uh, a snow cone, the difference between a snow cone and a snowball So a snow cone is like more of a, like a cubed ice, like a crunchy ice. Right. And then like a syrup that you pour over the top that inevitably just sinks to the bottom. Sinks
0: to the bottom. And they
1: give you a little straw spoon. And usually what you end up doing is just drinking up that syrup and then throwing half the ice away. Right. (laughs) A snow ball is where the ice is shaved so fine that it actually resembles like snow. It's fluffy. Uh, it's not coarse and crunchy the way that a uh, snow cone is. It's a
0: question of how fine you grate that shit. I don't think I ever yeah. appreciated the distinction.
1: So I, I did a lot of research. Okay. <laughs> the The reason I'm talking about this is that Austin is lucky to have
0: uh, a place called Casey's. Uh, I almost don't want you to tell people about Casey's because there's always a line and I love it so much. mm -hmm. But a snowball is right on the periphery of like food I will wait 30 minutes for. Yeah. Because it is still ice with syrup
1: on it. They, so they had a sign saying that this was like a New Orleans thing on the side. Right. And I thought like, oh, interesting. I'd never really heard of that as a New Orleans thing before. Mm. And then I did some research. It most definitely is.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't think that they're... So You before this, you were going to go right up to their booth and say, hey, you're fucking lying. <laughs> so New Orleans looked at the regular crumbly ice snow cone and said, this no is more. way... This mm-hmm. sucks. Crunch it up more. Do it again.
1: So, it started in 1933. Ernest Hansen started working on an ice shaving machine. Uh, he invented the first motor-driven ice shaving machine. So, he kept the machine in the family, and you can still go to Hansen's Snowbliz in mm-hmm. New Orleans. Um, but there are like a dozen other places in New Orleans that do this. Because... Uh, there was a gentleman that invented his own ice shaving machine. He called the Snow Wizard, uh, and he made it because people had started requesting, you know, that they have a version of it for their own business. And so he started sending them out. You can still buy them these Snow Wizards. I went online; they're less than two thousand bucks. They are a hundred pounds.
0: <laughs> Are they are these antique snow wizards? Are they still making new snow wizards? New wiz- snow
1: wizards. That's what ah. Casey uses. Casey ah. uses the snow wizard. And they're how much dollars? One thousand nine hundred and seventy-four.
0: That's not much less than two thousand, is it? No. That's we could probably comfortably round that up to two thousand dollars.
1: <laughs> it is a hundred pounds though, so I wouldn't necessarily recommend putting it like in your kitchen.
0: Why not? I got strong countertops.
1: Uh so uh they're the primary snowball machines used in Louisiana and like throughout the country you okay. can
0: find snowballs. Now, hold on. If I buy one of these $2,000 machines and some of the juice, I can have my own snowball making business.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, so the Casey's uh, that is here in Austin was actually started by people who were from New Orleans. Uh, and it was a f- kind of a family business. Susie Casey Callagher uh, and Kit Thompson started it in 1996 in Austin. And they just bought a little house uh, that was near an elementary school and it was at a, like a four-way stoplight. And they're like, here we go.
0: That intersection is wild. It, like, is, it is. Everybody's
1: going to drive past it. Everyone's going to have to stop at this stoplight and see it.
0: It's one of those broken up intersections. Mm-hmm. And also there's a train track that it crosses. It's, it is wild, but also, you know, the best snowball I've ever tasted is there.
1: So this is, this is old data, but um, and, and when I say old data, it's like from like 2002, an article I found.
0: Um, hey, straight up. That was 17 years ago. <laughs>
1: At that time, they were consuming anywhere between 16 and 33 blocks of ice Who a day. Who was? Who was? Casey's.
0: Oh, they, they, were, they were selling through, it. Yeah. You said consuming, <laughs> which made me think that this family was like- <laughs> Just gnawing on it. Like Bumbles from the, the Rudolph the red Nose Reindeer uh, <laughs> sort of universe, just like honking down huge cubes.
1: They also produced their own um, chocolate syrup. And so they'll make 10 to 25 gallons of chocolate syrup a day.
0: Okay, that is impressive. Yes. That's quite a bit.
1: They have 70 different flavors. Uh, One of their most popular is Boston Cream Pie, which apparently tastes like a donut. Yeah. Uh, i am partial to the mounds bar which is like chocolate and coconut and it's so creamy you guys you just don't even know
0: let's talk about this creaminess because i feel like people don't quite understand it when you grate it down that fine it really is like eating ice cream they also do certain flavor combinations where you can get a scoop of snowball with a scoop of ice cream they do an orange creamsicle one that is like the tastiest orange syrup in a snowball on a like scoop of vanilla ice cream Mm -hmm. and it is fucking amazing
1: Mm-hmm. And they have all the like wild cherry kind yeah, of Yeah, they'll let you typical. make your own shit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then the smallest size is just $3. Like it's not like, I mean, Austin is like kind of known for these super fancy, high-priced restaurants. Uh, but Casey's is nice. It's like very unassuming and very affordable. Yeah. Like the most expensive thing on their menu is $6.50. Yeah,
0: it's too bad it's all gross, so don't go there. Yeah.
1: <laughs> They're open seasonally, though, so they're only open Only in the October. winter,
0: yeah. December yeah. <laughs> to the end of December. It's weird. I tell it's them weird. not to do it that way, but they say we don't want people to come here.
1: I loved it. It changed my life. There was there were several places in St. Louis when I was growing up that sold snow cones, and I would have friends that were like, oh, let's go with a snow cone, and I'd be like, oh, okay, cool, and then I'd be like, I hate this. Yeah, so I'm not enjoying this, and I don't want it like three minutes in. Yeah. Snowball
0: totally different story it's way story. yeah
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's too bad about all the beehives though <laughs> and the landmines yeah it's really too bad can I tell you about my second thing yes my second thing is a song by LCD Sound System called All My Friends oh I love this freaking song yeah. man I love this freaking song it like it floored me the first time I heard it and now 12 years after it came out like it still just knocks me down every time I I, I hear it come on Um, It is, uh, if you're not familiar, it's a track off LCD Sound System's second album, which is called Sound of Silver, which came out in 2007. And that album is so fucking good. Uh, It's like um, their first album was self-titled and it was a just like instant critical uh, success. Uh, It had all of these just like powerful dance jams on it. Uh, the most probably well known of which being uh, Daft Punk is playing at my house.
1: That so that that was my only exposure to them, and right. I actually I went to Lollapalooza, and it was funny because they were on the same day as Daft Punk. Yeah, and they were right before Daft Punk, and so it was fun to That's like great. see them perform that song, and then like immediately after have Daft Punk come out. <laughs> yeah,
0: so, so that first album like kicks ass, and yeah. it was this like great fusion of uh you know all all indie rock stuff with all. Also, just a lot of really fresh electronic loops and stuff like that. And it was this huge critical success. And so, for their follow up album, like there was some uh, concern that they wouldn't be able to follow it up. But Sounds of Silver sort of evolved on it with like a lot more interesting. Uh, sounds and sort of weirder uh, hooks for, for the songs that are on it. And all my friends is kind of like perfectly emblematic about that. First of all, it's not necessarily a dance jam. It's a song about like aging, which it kind of tackles in a fairly abstract way uh, that makes it kind of more accessible. Uh, the frontman for the band, James Murphy, kind of like based the song on his own experience, but you you know, you know don't have to have lived his life necessarily. I feel like the lyrics are j- sort of uh, generic isn't a flattering term, but I think maybe it fits where you can kind of find something Universal. in there. Yourself. Universal is maybe the word. Thank you. Mm-hmm. About like, especially going over that like late 20s to early 30s hump, um, and I'm gonna play a bit of it now in case you've never heard it before because it's it's just it's great yes. So it's got that piano loop that goes through the whole thing. And it's like this wild, at times seemingly like unsyncopated piano like clumsy piano loop that somebody's like trying to play live and maybe they just went with the first take and it wasn't so great. Uh and you hear that when the song starts, you're like, oh shit, like Is this going to be the whole song? Yeah, it's all seven minutes and 47 seconds of the song. (laughs) But it's the way that the song builds on it and, uh, you know, builds on every other element that they layer on top of it. Vocals don't even start until a minute 20 in. Uh, And so, like, they take their time in sort of building this song over these lyrics that are, like, very... Uh, very wistful and uh, evocative, I think. Uh, and it builds and builds, but instead of building to like this dance climax, it builds to more of like an emotional climax. And now I've said the word climax too many times <laughs> in a short span. Um, and I just love it, man. Like I loved it when I first heard it in college because it was like, I recognized like, oh, this is some of the best music I've ever listened to because I've just come off a streak of only listening to three bands my entire life. Um But also like, you know, this this idea of treasuring your time with your friends uh, and, and struggling with that as you get older, like when I was in college, I was like, yeah, man, that's important. And now that I'm 32, it's like, yeah, man, yeah, man, that's important, bud. Uh, and I remember my last night that I spent in Chicago, the night before I moved here to Austin. Uh, I went with my roommates and some of my 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 buddies to Pitchfork Fest in Chicago, and I saw LCD Sound System. It was my first time seeing them, and they played like everything off Songs of Silver and. Uh, When they did All My Friends, like, man, I was just, like, bouncing up and down with all my friends in Chicago and just, like, I, I, I cried. Like, I literally cried because I was sad I was leaving all of them tomorrow and here was a song that could not be more, like, fitting for that moment. Uh, and I don't know when I hear it, I still get, I still get uh, not choked up or, or whatever, but it still impacts me. I think in an, an emotional way that very few songs that I can think of are are capable of of doing.
1: I lo- I love that, like when a song become so emblematic of a time in your life and then you can like hear it and be transported back instantly i'm instantly back
0: at the pitchfork fest yeah and and uh i I legitimately think it's one of the best like songs written in my lifetime and i'm kind of not alone in that because it became sort of the the biggest critical hit off of uh songs of silver which was a uh a a sound of silver sorry that already was like a big successful album uh pitchfork named it the number one song of 2007 and then in 2009 they did a list of of the top 500 tracks of the 2000s and uh, All My Friends was number two. It 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 ranked uh, wow. just below, I believe, Bob uh, by Outcast. Which mm. yeah, that's that was yeah, fucking that's yeah, fair. that was fucking fair. Uh, and in the uh, write up for this, where it got the number two spot, Rob Mitchum wrote: uh, By the end, the piano has become euphoric and confident without changing a lick. A neat thematic trick to accompany Murphy's bittersweet lyrical acceptance of growing old. All My Friends survives the high wire act of growing mature without getting boring, which just might be Professor what? Uh, which might might just be the lesson, Professor. Murphy can teach his peers in the next decade. Um, it, it has received similar sort of praise uh, across the board, uh, and I don't know that that makes me really happy because I would certainly rank it in like top five, like best songs I think ever that I've ever heard. It's just a good one, man. Mm-hmm. Just a good one. It's tough. That whole album's really good, though. Well, speaking of good songs, how about, <laughs> how about uh, "Money Won't Pay" by Bowen and Augustus? You can find a link to that in our episode description. Uh, what? I mean, what else we usually do here? I mean, maximum fucking fun, though. Are we gonna read
1: listener submissions?
0: Ah, I forget to, don't I? (laughs) Jesse says something I find wonderful is cutting vegetables. My Beyonce is the much, and I don't know if that's a a flub or if it, it means Beyonce. And it says Beyonce, but I like it nonetheless. My Beyonce is the much better cook, so I do all the prep and I love a good chopping <laughs> session. There's something so relaxing about chopping tons of vegetables as long as I've got a good sharp knife. And a big, clean cutting board, right? Gotta have it. Gotta uh, big have board. it. board. Big, clean cutting board. Gotta mm-hmm. get it. Gotta have that mise en place. Mm-hmm. God, I love a good mise en place. I wish I
1: had thought of that Beyonce line when we were engaged. That's a good one.
0: I know, but that's 2019 thinking, you know? It's true. Don't kick yourself. (laughs) Laura says, something I find wonderful is taking a shower after swimming or other watery activities. The feeling of a hot shower after being in a cold, damp swimsuit slash clothes is just unbeatable.
1: That's so true. You know what I was thinking of the other day? What's that? I love the feeling when you're still kind of in a wet swimsuit and you get in a hot car to like drive away from the pool. Oh, Oh, that is summertime to me.
0: Yeah, if you got a towel under your butt, I don't want to ruin. I don't want to ruin the, you know, I got leather in the Miata. I'm not trying to fuck that up.
1: (laughs) I also just kind of like driving in a swimsuit. Yeah. It just feels like this is summer, jerks.
0: Yeah. But I'm not trying to fuck up the Bugatti, you know? Okay. Gotta have my liners in there. Okay. Uh, Rebecca says, the new Sigrid music video is wonderful, not least because when I saw it pop up on my screen, I 100% thought it was Griffin in the starring role. Thank you very much. Uh, It's actually the director who stepped in for Sigrid after a series of technical difficulties, and it's a wonderful example of creative people coming together to make something silly and fun. Also, Griffin, you should ask Sigrid to be in her next video.
1: I'll do that. I'll get right on that. That is a great video. Griffin, you showed that to me. Uh, not long ago, and I absolutely loved it.
0: Yeah, I've sort of become a diehard Sigrid stan since uh, Rachel covered that mm-hmm. uh, as a segment on the show. It's uh, It has brought so much joy into my life. That album is fucking great. Uh, you know, hey, speaking of great albums, <laughs> Money Won't Pay by <laughs> Bowen and Augustus. You can find a link to that in our episode description. Thanks for letting us use that one. And Maximum Freaking Fun. Like, what more can you even say at this point?
1: Maximum Fun is a great place to find... Both funny podcasts and narrative podcasts and mm-hmm. culture podcasts and yeah. music podcasts. Fresh and
0: baked breads.
1: Pet podcasts. Soups.
0: Hot soups. yoo S- Sandwiches, if you need them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm thinking of Panera Bread again, aren't I? Mm-hmm. I get Maximum Fun and Panera Bread mixed up a lot. I
1: know. Well, they're both, you know, wonderful.
0: They're both warm and toasty, mm-hmm. I think. I don't know anything about Panera Bread. They may have their their guy. That started
1: them. in St. Louis, by the way. Oh, did it in St. Louis? It's still called St. Louis Bread Company because that's how it started.
0: I remember being very confused by that. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I think that's it. Um, we have stuff at MacRoy.family. You can send in your submissions at uh, wonderfulpodcast at And yeah, I think that's I think that's about it. Let's round it up. Let's round them up. Yeehaw! That's the little, oh my god, it's the littlest cowboy ever. (laughs) Get over here, littlest cowboy ever. Howdy, y'all. Hey, does your little horse need some little water? Oh, well, he might like it. Okay, okay. I wonder if this bit's gonna go anywhere. What do you think, little cowboy?
1: MaximumFun.org
0: Comedy and culture. Artist
1: owned. Listener supported. If you're looking for a new comedy podcast, why not try the Beef and Dairy Network? It won Best Comedy at the British Podcast Awards in 2017 and 2018. Also, I'm... There were no horses
0: in this country until the the mid to late 60s. Specialist bovine arse vet. Both of his eyes are squid's eyes.
1: Yoghurt buffet. She was married to a bacon farmer. Who saved her life.
0: Farm-raised snow leopard.
1: Hmm. Download it today. That's the Beef and Dairy Network podcast from MaximumFun.org. Also, maybe start at episode one, or weirdly, episode 36, which for some reason requires no knowledge of the rest of the show.